Welcome, everyone. As we continue in worship, as we continue in worship today, we, we know that at Whitworth and as, as Christians, we seek to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And one of the ways we, we love God with our mind here is through learning. And there's an opportunity to learn. If some, you're someone who has the questions about faith and evolution and how those fit together, uh, Mike Sardinia, a great biology professor here, leads a seminar, and he'll be leading a seminar in the fall on faith and evolution, BI 396. So check that out if you're, as you register for classes. If that's a, a question you've been wrestling with, here's a great time to really dive in and, under, and learn really well about that and think really well about that as we love God with our minds. Another way we love God with our minds, tonight there's a, a chance to engage with a, a topic that people have been wrestling with. What does it look like to follow the law and think about illegal immigration and how does that work? Overflow topic tonight with a special speaker at 7 o'clock in, in the hub chambers. Lexi Chan, our Campus Ministry Social Justice Coordinator has an opportunity to love God in another way. Tell us about it. Hi. Hi, guys. Um, if anybody is interested or feel like God's put the refugee population on their heart, we'd love to have you come join us this Friday. Um, we're going to go down to the World Relief Center and go through refugee simulations. So it's about three-hour time where you're going to pretty much be ref I mean. It's a simulation, so, and it's going to walk you through what it's like, so it, it should be super cool. We have around 20, a little over 20 signed up right now, so that means there's five spots left. It's usually 35 bucks, so if you would like to go for free and are interested, come talk to me after chapel. I'll have a sign-up sheet in the back, so. Four to seven, and don't everybody tackle her at once if, I don't know, you're going to th thumb wrestle or something for those five spots. You thumb wrestle, right, to get things, yeah. <laughs> That's just me. Thanks. We have an art. We have a, a, a we have a campus uh, ministry artist, Catherine Bell, has been working on art um, on the Book of Revelation, and she has some of her art up here. If you have time to come check it out and some art around the themes of Revelation, particularly the letters in chapters two and three, uh, come enjoy that as we worship God through art. And now let's pray together as we continue to worship. Lord God, thank you for your great love for us most clearly revealed in Jesus, and thank you because of your love for us. You invite us to love you and empower us to love others. May it be that we would love you and love others in word and deed, near and far. Empower us and lead us to be people who live in light of your love and share that love. We pray for this world in deep need of your love this day, in deep need of your healing. We pray for someone near to us who we love we pray for their love, for your love to be known in their lives. God, we thank you for this, this community here. We can worship you together. What an amazing gift. And so we come today expectant, as we have already been meeting with you as a community, that we would continue to, to hear your voice and respond in faith and trust and in, in deeds of obedience and love according to your goodness. May it be, and open our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Well, Scripture today reveals one big, unavoidable truth. Are you ready? All of us are going to die. All of us are going to die. Some of us are going to die suddenly.
some of us are going to die on accident. Some of us are going to die slowly. Some will die peacefully. But the truth is, we all will die. And we certainly don't like talking about this. There was a comedian way back in the day. Half of the room probably won't even know his name. His name is Jerry Seinfeld. Anybody? Yeah. Few of you still remember? He said this, according to most studies, people's number one fear is public speaking. Their second fear is death. Death is number two to public speaking. So he said that means that to the average person, if you go to a funeral, it's better to be in the casket than to be giving the eulogy. <laughs> Nobody wants to speak or to die. But this morning, our text is telling us that inevitably, this is our doom, that all of us will die. So where are we now in Revelation? We have um, humbly and cautiously tried to tackle this book over the last few weeks this semester. So just a few things to remember. The purpose of this book is to teach the churches in Asia Minor. And the main thing that John wants everyone to know is that Jesus is winning, that he has won, and that he will continue to win. And the church is called to this mission. We are to be outwardly faced, to look out, because the end is coming. And for those who trust in Jesus, the end will be glorious. So overall, Revelation is a letter to these seven churches. And in the first part of the book, John writes to them and tells them how they're doing. One writer described John as the umpire, standing behind the plate, watching the game, and calling all the shots. He calls them like he sees them. He's calling out balls and strikes and home runs and places where they've missed the mark. So what does he see? He sees in Ephesus this problem that they've lost their first love. They were not outwardly faced. And in Pergamum and Thyatira, they were, he was saying that you're worshiping other gods and not the Lord God, the living God. And in Sardis, he said, you're wealthy, but you're dead inside. You're this big, glorious church, but there's nothing there. In Laodicea, he told them that he was, they were lukewarm, that he would spit them out. There was just nothing significant to what they were doing at all. And these five churches are failing. But to Smyrna and Philadelphia, he tells them that they were faithful. They were not at all perfect. But when things got hard, when the suffering came, they kept the word of the Lord. When you were in pain, you stayed the course. And so then, as the book goes on, these four angels show up. And they start blasting these trumpets, and with each blast of the trumpet, hell comes down upon the earth. Smoke, fire, locusts, destruction. And then there is this pause between the sixth and the seventh trumpet. And that's where we pick up today in John chapter 11. And the first few verses say this. I was given a stick for a measuring rod and told, get up and measure God's temple 
an altar and everyone worshiping in it. Exclude the outside court. Don't measure it. It's been handed over to non-Jewish outsiders. They'll desecrate the holy city for 42 months. Okay, let me take a moment and stop right there. So there's this rod that's given to measure the temple. Measure the temple, okay? There's not a temple there at the time. There is no temple. So what he means here is that the temple, just like as we think about the body of Christ, is us, the church. The temple is a metaphor for where God and man and women can meet and interact. It's a place where we have our relationships. And so he instructs him to measure the temple, and in that he's suggesting, I then will be your protection, as we see where the parameters are. And the invitation then is to bear witness, you are my people, and I will protect you. And so the text goes on. Meanwhile, I will provide my two witnesses, dressed in sackcloth, They'll prophesy for 1,260 days. These are the two olive trees, the two lampstands, standing at attention before God on earth. Two witnesses. Of the seven churches, five of them were failing, but two were faithful. These two faithful churches are asked to come to be the witnesses. And what does a witness do? Remember, the one and only job of a witness is to bear testimony to the truth. The first and primary job is to simply bear witness. The church is called to tell what they've seen. Tell what the Lord has done. Yet these two witnesses are not quietly sitting and reading scripture in the corner or sending a text of thoughts and prayers on the sidelines. They're not just writing checks and hoping that that seventh trumpet won't be quite as loud. No. What do these witnesses do? They show up wearing sackcloth. Sackcloth is, by the way, a horrible, uncomfortable fabric that was made of goat fur. It's coarse and it's heavy. And what was happening too often in the Old Testament scriptures is that when someone was in mourning, they would cover themselves in sackcloth. It was an outward sign of a, what was happening on the inside, of pain and sadness and grief and mourning. And so these faithful witnesses move into the situation and they are pounding their chests and they are crying out, this is not the way it was meant to be. And the spirit that they have is one of guilt for the world. And in their posture, they are inviting repentance. This is no longer okay. And I was thinking of any sort of modern-day understanding of what sackcloth might look like for us. And I don't know if any of you were available to sit and see or possibly march on March 24th. 
when the young people of Florida gathered in Washington, D.C. And as I watched that day, I can tell you that there was not one person on the stage that was over 20 years old. But in their grief and their mourning, they pounded their chest and they cried out to a world saying, enough, enough, enough. This is not what was meant to be. In their mourning and their grief, they cried out for repentance. They asked for a world that would no longer be focused on greed and selfish ambition and stepping over others to get ahead and pouring money into weaponry in which their friends had died for no good reason at all. They wore sackcloth, and the world responded and showed up and listened to their voices because they were a witness to what had happened those days in that hallway in that high school in Florida. These witnesses for 1,260 days wore sackcloth and cried out for repentance, for change, for movement. And the text goes on in verse 7. When they finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that is prophetically called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, members of the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And the inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and celebrate and exchange presents because these two prophets had been in torment to the inhabitants of the earth. So for 1260 days, they cried, they shouted out, and they found themselves at the foot of the cross where Jesus himself had been crucified, and there they died. My friends, to be a faithful witness of Jesus the Christ means that we will all suffer and die. This is the way of our Lord. If you claim to be a follower of Christ, then hear this. First, the pain, then the waiting, and then the rising. For when Peter stepped out of the boat, the pain of the wind and the waves and the distraction of the sea, he lost sight of Jesus, and he started to sink. When Mary and Martha were devastated by the loss of their brother Lazarus, they mourn and they cry and they beat their chest and they scream to God, where have you been? And the pain is overwhelming and they have to wait. 
when the son has had enough of his life and he leaves the father and he finds himself waking up in a pig trough full of trash and mud and scraps, terrified and alone, he musters the strength to slowly walk home, waiting unclear of what will be there for him when he arrives. But my friends, this is what the faithful witness of Christ is all of us are called to do. We must begin to recognize that our life with Jesus Christ must look like the cross. It includes suffering and waiting and then the rising. For Peter, in that moment, he grabs for Jesus and Jesus lifts him up onto his feet and there he stands. And the woman hear the voice of Jesus as he screams, Lazarus, come out! And there, their brother comes out alive. And the son looks on the horizon and sees his father running out toward him, and he wraps him in his arms, and he says, welcome home. The faithful witnesses, the two dead bodies in the street, people mocking them and telling them how stupid they were to have believed. And in verse 11 it says, But after the three and a half days, the breath of life of God entered them, and they stood up on their feet. And those who saw them were terrified. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to a heaven in a cloud while their enemies watched them. And at that moment there was an earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven because of their witness. The rest of them saw and were moved and were changed and gave glory to the God of heaven. Because these witnesses did not think about repentance in a way where you just turn and confess all of those big mistakes that we've made, but it's reorienting our perspective toward a life of the cross in which all of us together, knowing that we will die, we hold on to the hope that after the suffering and the waiting, we will rise again with him, the God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Reminder today is that when our one and only job as the faithful witness as the church is to point to the one true God, Jesus the Christ, who suffered and died. And in the midst of our suffering, we hold on to the, to on to the hope that there will be a rising. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and bring you deep, deep peace. And all of God's people said together, amen.
go in peace.